If you are a guest with us this morning, I welcome you, and you may be joining us for the first time in a while, either in person or online, and you may not know where we are right now in our study of Leviticus, and we are in chapter 8 today. We are in chapter 8 of Leviticus, and before we get in there, I want to remind you, this is uh, typically uh, in a pre-COVID era, we would be taking up our offering during this time, but I want to make mention of it online, so you can go to homesavenue.com forward slash give if you want to give in that way, especially those of you that are watching online, if the Lord is leading you to do so. Uh, if you want to give in person, you can do that at the end of the gathering uh, as our deacons are at the door uh, to take that from you. But we are in our series, Holy God, Holy People. And today, as I said, we're in Leviticus chapter 8, and we're in verses 1 through 36 today, so we're doing the whole chapter. And the title of the message today is A Call to Serve, A Call to Serve. And when I say the word mediator, because we're going to see this term mediator today, when I say the term mediator, what comes to your mind? Think about that for a moment. For those of you that maybe like to wake up early in the morning and get things ready for the day, uh, you're getting ready for work, and maybe you've got the local news channels on, uh, you probably see some examples of people that are trying to uh, mediate. You might see a lot of lawyer-type commercials, things like that that are on television. Some of you may say, well, that's not a mediation. That's, that's a crook. No, I'm just kidding. It's a joke, bad joke, but hey. You see those funny commercials that are on TV of the lawyer ads and all that stuff. They're trying to get you to come and take upon their service so that you can be there with them as they're trying to mediate between you and another party. We see it just about everywhere we look. We see it on ads on TV, we see it on billboards, see all these different things. We know about mediation of what we see in today's times. But for the people of Israel, these Israelites, in the time of what we're studying in Leviticus, mediation was a little bit different. You might say, well, how is that so, Brian? How is it a little bit different? As we're going to see, and as we have seen in our study so far, the priests have served as mediators between the people and God. And although they served as a mediator, they were not serving necessarily in a way that we would see it today. Because as we're seeing this mediation take place between man and God, we're seeing that the, that, that the way in which they're doing it is a little different because of how it is interacting between the two parties, between man and between God. You've heard me quote this person a lot over this study, and, and I've, I've just been so enamored with his commentary on the book of Leviticus. But Kenneth Matthews, he's a biblical scholar, and he says this, The chief role of the priestly mediation was not between two aggrieved persons, but with only one offended party. God alone had the right to be offended by the disobedience of his people, Israel. God was faithful to his people, but they were not loyal to him. The people had no legitimate grievance but to bring, to bring against their God. Now we hear that and we think, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Holy God, he's wanting holy people and people are sinners. The priest, in their time, they're the ones that are being set apart. And we're going to see some examples of how that is done here today. But even they are what? They are sinners. They are not a holy God like God is. Now, he desires that of his people, but we are all sinners and there needs to be atonement for sin. We know that. We've talked about that leading up to this week. Now the priest... They did not just sit between man and God and negotiate between two parties. There was no need because God demanded one thing of the people, and that was holiness. You've heard us say it. I just said it a moment ago. Holy God, holy people. God demands holiness of his people. You might say, well, pastor, that's just not fair. How can God demand holiness of us? And I would say it is quite fair. It is fair that God would do that because God created everything perfect in the beginning. 
God is holy and he and sin cannot coexist. So God is actually being very gracious to us because he has not given us what we deserve. We are all sinners. We all deserve what? God's wrath. Because we have sinned against God. And we need to have his atoning work through his son Jesus to make the way right between us and God again. And thanks be to God that he provides that through our great high priest, Jesus, and what Jesus has done on Calvary's cross. Jesus being the ultimate mediator for us. God is very gracious to give that to us. God is very gracious at this time to allow this to take place for the people so that sacrifices could take place to atone for the sin that they would commit. Obviously, Christ Jesus has not come at this point. And so there needs to be atonement made for sin. That's why the sacrificial system exists, and we've talked about that. For the Israelites, God has provided the means of sacrifices. He's laid it all out in chapters 1 through 7. He's laid it all out for the people. And here today in chapter 8, we see that God inaugurates Aaron, who's Moses' brother, as the father of this priestly family. And Moses carries out this ordination service today in the presence of all of Israel. Now, before we begin our time looking specifically at the passage, I want to make two quick notes. I want to make two quick notes, two distinctions, if you will, about the mediation and the priest and what we saw in this biblical time compared to what we have today. I've already alluded to it, and you're going to hear me repeatedly say it throughout the message today, so just buckle up and be ready for this. There's no longer a need between mediation in this sense, like we see between man and God, in a priestly sense. We don't have to, you don't have to come before me or Pastor Walter and say, hey, I need you to go on my behalf to God and make this right. I need you to go and do this for me, please. That's not biblical. Because of what Jesus has done, being the perfect substitutionary atonement for us, and his death on the cross, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, doing what he has done on Calvary's cross, he has defeated sin and death. He has provided the way. He has been the perfect substitute for us, taking the wrath that we deserve. And because of that, the temple has been torn in two, as we remember from the the story of the cross. We know that the temple is torn in two, therefore there is no need for a holy of holies because direct access is now made available to anyone who would repent and believe. Thanks be to God for that. Thank you, God, that we have that. So we don't have to have this priestly type system because we have our great high priest himself, King Jesus. We also know that yes, we do need to have elders in the church. We need to have elders, pastors, to be under shepherds to the great high priest, our chief priest Jesus, to be under shepherds to the congregation to help lead and guide and direct the spiritual well-being of the people because we as elders have to stand before God and give an account. That's why a couple months ago we told you we were going through our roles and we were making sure we knew whoever was here and active because we want to make sure that we have an understanding of who we are responsible for before God. And so we have to understand that that is a need in the church. But we also have to remember back in 1 Peter, this one's not on the screen, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Folks, we, we are a royal priesthood. 
because of what Jesus has done for us. And so with that said, as you know, I'm all about standing and reading and honoring God's word, and we're still going to do that. But as you know, over the last several weeks, we've been having these lengthy passages, and today is no different, 36 uh, pretty lengthy verses. So I'm going to ask you to stay seating. I'm just going to go verse by verse through it. I'm going to go ahead and give you your first point. First point is this. There is the need for public declaration and committal to God's service. There is a need for public declaration committal to God's service. Look at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread. That was one and two for you. We see again, God is speaking to Moses. He tells him, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and then as verse 2 read, he's directing Moses to take Aaron and his sons with their garments, all of the anointing oil, taking those things, and the bull of the sin offering with two rams and this basket of unleavened bread before the assembled congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Why is he having him do this? Why is he bringing him to do this? God wants the people to see just how important it is for themselves to witness what is taking place. He wants them to see this is important. This is an example of my holiness on display, my love for you on display, that I'm presenting these men, consecrating them, setting them apart to be mediators on your behalf to me. Verse 3 says, And assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. There needed to be this assembling there of the congregation to witness what's taking place. And folks, this wasn't just for Aaron's benefit. This wasn't just so that Aaron can tout about, look at me, look what I've been able to achieve, what God has done for me. No, it was there so that the people could witness what God was doing, the grace of God being displayed to them through the working that he was allowing to take place through Aaron and his sons. We see kind of an example of this today. Now, I've already made it sure I established, and I hope you can hear that, that there is no need for priests. We don't need to have that mediation. However, we do need to have pastors and elders to a congregation to lead the flock of God. So we see this in a way today. We see in the context of the local body of believers today that men that God calls for the purpose of shepherding the flock, those men are set apart. They are ordained. They are brought before a council that, that, that tests them and to ask them what they believe and they, to go through all of those different things. And then once that happens, they are brought before the church. They have their hands laid upon them and they are prayed for. And it's this ordaining of these men for the work of ministry that God has called them to. And we do so because of what Christ Jesus has done. We do this, we get to be a part of this because Jesus has defeated the grave and he has called men to lead the congregations of God to do the work of ministry. Verses 4 and 5 say, Moses did as the Lord commanded him and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. I love those examples every time God tells Moses to do something, and then we see the obedience take place. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. 
Moses follows through on what God told him to do. He assembles the congregation to come together at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and then he tells them, this is what God wants. Verse 6, Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. There's needing to be a cleansing of these men. They needed to be cleansed, and it needed to take place before God, to take place before the people, to show the moral purity that was required of the priest. This means so much. This is a good representation for us today. By doing so, Aaron and his sons were demonstrating they're being spiritually prepared to do what God wanted them to do, that they were clean before God. For the church today, we must be spiritually awakened to new life in Christ to be children of God. We stand before God with, as Scripture says, as dirty rags. Our sin is tainted. It is evil. We are wicked because our sin is what separates us from God. And so if we stand before God in our own accord, in our own power, in our own strength, we have no power. We have no strength. Because we are standing on a tower of nothing but sin and filth. It separates us from God. It's not just a term that we just say very casually. Separation from God. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been purchased by Jesus' shed blood on the cross, you can recall the day before you came to know Jesus, can you not? You can recall what life was like then. You lived by your own wants, your own desires. You had no regard for anything of being holy. You wanted to do any and everything in your own strength and your own power. You didn't care what God wanted. And so if you in that, in that state, or if you're here today or you're listening online and, you are, and that describes you today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you need to listen clearly. You are separated from God. You are separated. Which means if God forbid your life ended today, right now, you would not have the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ ever. It would be over. It would be over. There needs to be a cleansing. We need to be awakened to new life. And we need to pray, church. We need to pray. We talked about this yesterday with the brotherhood. We need to pray continually in the spirit. We need to pray asking God intercessory prayer on behalf of our body of believers and on behalf of the people that we love and care for around us every day. There are people around us that desperately need the gospel and we need to pray to God that he would save their souls. And if we are not praying that, get on your face and repent before God. We have been praying every day, sending out these emails, and I pray that you're reading them, and I pray that you're taking the time to pray. We're praying for things in our lives. We're praying for things in our city. We're praying for things in our church. We are asking God to move and to work. And we're not doing it just to say we have a fancy campaign of 28 days just asking for prayer. We are asking, coming before God and saying, Lord, we are begging you to move and work in our lives, in our families, in our church, and in our city. Make it drastically different by the power of the gospel. And if we're not doing that, church, we must repent. 
You may say, well, Brian, that's not me. I, I haven't been doing that. Well, guess what? Here's what I'm going to charge you to do. Today, you can do it right now if you want to. I don't care. By God, if we need to have a time that we just stop proclaiming the word at the moment, we just get on our faces and all repent, then therefore we do it. But I want to encourage you, if you are not doing that, get on your face and repent. And say, Father, I'm not doing this. But Lord, I want to see I want to see you move in a way that we've never seen you move before. I don't know where I was in this place. It might have been, I don't know, one of the rooms around the hall. I don't know. Sometime this week, and I, y'all come through here, and when I've got a chance to get up and do a, a little lunch break or something, I'm walking around the halls. Y'all probably think I'm a crazy man, but I'm trying to just pray that God would use this place. And I'm walking in one of the rooms, and I see a little photo album, and I see a picture that was taken over here by the organ of the congregation. And it, it, it had to be 20, 30 years ago, just based on the clothing and, and just the way that the picture looked. The, the stained glass wasn't even in yet. And this place was packed in those pictures. And I'm not saying this to say we need to pack the pews just so we can pack the pews. I'm just saying that we need to be on our face praying to God that the church of God would be moving in a powerful way through Park Circle in this place and the sister congregations so that these places are packed with people coming in saying, I am sick, I am dying, and I need life. So what do I need? You need Jesus. And we'll preach the gospel till we're blue in the face. And prayerfully, God will save souls. We need a cleansing. Look at seven through nine. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash around his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastplate on him and in the breastplate he put the urim and the thummim. And he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown as the Lord commanded Moses. These verses give this picture of what Aaron was to wear as the high priest. Only the high priest wore these things. And very quickly, I'm just going to address just a couple of things about them. The coat or the robe that is described there in verse 7 is this blue cloth that slipped over the head, and it had this alternating decorative pattern. I hope that it's shown, that you're seeing this in your mind. And it had this alternating, de- um, alternating decorative pomegranate made of blue and purple and scarlet yarns with this small golden bells on it. And all of this you can go and you can make note of it. You can read the descriptions very in-depth from Exodus chapter 28. Just jot that down, Exodus 28, in regards to these verses. The ephod, it was this sleeveless garment that was made of this twisted linen and woven of gold, blue, and purple scarlet yarns. In verse 8, we see them describe the breastplate. And it was attached to the ephod by the shoulders with this blue cord looped through these golden rings. And it was made of the same colored yarns in the ephod, and it had 12 gemstones on it to what? Represent the 12 tribes. Exodus 28 again. Verse 9, it talks about this linen turban. It was at the forehead. And on it, there was this pure gold that was there, this plate that was tied by blue cord on there. And the plate of it, it read, holy to the Lord. So it meant that as he was wearing that, as the high priest, Aaron continually was there mediating on behalf of Israel before the Lord, bearing any guilt and securing acceptance for God's people. He was set apart. 
This is a way for him to look different before the people. There was a distinctiveness of the high priest compared to the people. He stood out. He provided a constant reminder to the people of what could be made available to them. A constant reminder. Now we know today the constant reminder that we have of the one that has brought reconciliation to us and God, and that is Christ Jesus because of his sacrifice and bloodshed. His defeat of sin and death and his resurrection from the grave. So not only do we have this need for public declaration and this committal to God's service, but number two, the need for public consecration to service. The need for public consecration to service. Look at verse 10. Then Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. Everything in the place was taken care of to show that this is set apart for the purpose of God's work. Number 11. Verse 11, and he sprinkled some of, some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. We see again that perfect number seven. It is represented in this sprinkling. And you'll recall that these items were needed to do what? To carry out the sacrifices that were part of the sacrificial system. They needed to be cleansed before they could be used. Look at 12. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Here in verse 12, we see the anointing oil being poured on Aaron's head to consecrate, set him apart. And this anointing on Aaron's head was to be symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. I'm going to give you two examples. One in the Old Testament, King David. The anointing of David as king found in 1 Samuel 16, 13. It reads, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. We see that example there in the Old Testament. David is anointed. The Holy Spirit rushes upon him. Now look at a verse in the New Testament. The commencing of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's note something here, church family. We see that the Spirit's presence on the priest distinguished them from the congregation. It set them apart. What is a representation of that today for the church? For us today, we have the same Spirit of God that indwells us. God has anointed us with His Holy Spirit. In Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says this, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit, the same power of God that resurrected Christ Jesus from the grave is literally indwelling us as followers of Jesus. 
literally indwelling us, church. It indwells us. Those of us that have been purchased by the blood of Jesus has the promise. We mentioned it yesterday in Brotherhood. Somebody brought it up from the book of John. They were talking about this because for homework, the guys over the last month have been reading the Gospel of John in the, during their days leading up to Brotherhood. And one of them mentioned the fact that Jesus promises the helper that will come, the Holy Spirit that comes after His death and resurrection. For us, when we repent and believe and confess Christ, the Holy Spirit is there with us. He indwells us. It has come upon us. And He will not leave us. Thanks be to God for that. This is the same Holy Spirit that as we pray to God, that as we read His Word, it leads us, it guides us, He directs us. It is the same Holy Spirit of God that I pray every time I preach or that Walter preaches. The same Spirit of God we pray and we ask Him, please move as we speak. Please draw hearts to repentance. Please save souls. Aaron's sons in verse 13, it says, Moses brought Aaron's sons and clothed them with coats and tied sashes around their waist and bound caps on them as the Lord commanded Moses. His sons are, are there and set apart as priests. Now granted, they're not the high priests like their father Aaron, so their clothing's a little different, but they do have similar type things that are put on them. So not only do we have the public declaration and committal to God's service, the need for public consecration to service, but number three, the need for purification and devotion. The need for purification and devotion. Listen as I read verses 14 through 17. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering, and he killed it. And Moses took the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar and around it and purified the altar and poured out the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he took all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. But the bull and the skin and its flesh and its dung he burned up with the fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. This is known as the purification offering. And Moses brings the bull of the sin offering, which Aaron and his sons lay their hands on, again as being a representation of themselves before God for their sin. We've talked about that all through the last few weeks. If you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back and listen online. These priests, they needed to deal with their own sin before God before they could step into the role as mediators for the sin of the people. And there had to be a suitable sacrifice for their sins. They got all the cool, lavish outfits and, and all of that that they've got on, but that is not what is needed to make atonement for them. They had to have this sacrifice. So Moses goes and he kills the offering and he takes the blood on his finger and he puts it on the horns of the altar and the base of the altar to purify it, to consecrate it, to make atonement. 
And Moses then takes the fat of those entrails, the long lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and he burned them on the altar just as God wanted. And he takes that bull, its skin, the flesh, the dung, and he burns them outside of the camp just as the Lord commanded. All that we know and remember from chapters 1 through 6. Now look at 18 through 21. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram, and he killed it. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. He cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces of, and the fat, excuse me. And he washed the entrails and the legs with water. And Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering for the Lord, and the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Moses presents this ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons do the same thing that they just did with the sin offering, putting their hands on it. And Moses does what is necessary and burns it up, bringing a pleasing aroma to God, following through just as the Lord has commanded to do so. And as you recall, all the way back from Leviticus 1, this idea of this burnt offering, this devotion to God, the sin offering, this offering of devotion to God. We know, church, that our sin, it separates us from God, as I've already said numerous times. We know that the wages of sin is death. But here's the thing. The ultimate sacrifice in place for all who would call upon the name of the Lord is King Jesus. We don't have to go and make these different offerings just like these priests did in this time. Christ Jesus has paid the price for us. He has made the way going to Calvary's cross. Number four, quickly, the need for a peace offering. The need for a peace offering. Verse 22 says, Then he presented the other ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Here Moses goes and he presents this ram offering of ordination. There's coming at the time now where we're going to see the ordination of these men as priests, and they lay their hands. And the ram is this sacrifice for installation for what is about to take place. 23 and 24, he killed it. And Moses took some of the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. Then he presented Aaron's sons and Moses put some blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. Moses takes this blood and he specifically takes it and puts it on those extremities, these different parts of the body of Aaron and then his sons. Now, there's some different opinions of this, but scholars most believe that this means that this ordination was the showing of these vows that were sealed. Remember, the peace offerings, we learned about this in chapter 7, were offered for confession or sealing of a vow. And the reason those specific extremities were touched were because those represented parts of the whole of the person. So by Moses doing that, it is saying that this person is being consecrated, is being set apart for this, because of this sacrifice, it is for them. You see the image, touching of the ear, to be able to hear from God. Touching of the right hand and the feet, to be able to do God's work. It represented the whole of the person, those extremities. 
25 through 30 says this. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat and the right thigh. And out of the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened loaf and one loaf of bread with oil and one wafer and placed them on the pieces of fat and on the right thigh. And he put all these in the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and waved them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took them from their hands and burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. This was an ordination offering with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. And Moses took the breast and waved it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination as the Lord commanded Moses. Then verse 30. Moses took some of the anointing oil and of the blood that was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and his garments and also his sons and his sons' garments. So he consecrated Aaron and his garments and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Aaron and his sons, in those verses, they present this offering, this wave offering, this combination of the portions of the ram offering and the grain offering together before God. Moses prepares it. He prepares that wave offering just as we read with these pieces. And then Moses takes it, the fat of the grain, and places them on Aaron and his son's hands, and they wave it as this gesture of preparation to God. They do so before God, this wave offering. And then he takes it back and places it on top of the burnt offering, which brings about what? This pleasing aroma to God. Kenneth Matthews again says, Moses took anointing oil and blood from the altar and sprinkled them on the priest in their clothes. Thus the priests were speckled with a mixture of oil and blood, a sight that signified the cleansing of the mediators. And by doing this, by doing that very act, Moses consecrated the priest, which in the eyes of the people set them apart. It made them holy. I've continually referenced back to Jesus. And we must take that to heart. We must look at our Lord Christ Jesus, who is the one ultimately that has been set apart as the mediator between us and God. Thanks be to God that we have that with him. And because of that, last point, because of that, we can enjoy fellowship with God. We can enjoy fellowship with God. Listen real quickly to 31 to 34. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it and the bread that is in the basket of ordination offerings as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And what remains of the flesh and the bread you shall burn up with fire. And you shall not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed. For it will take seven days to ordain you. Again, that number of completion, perfection, God's number. And has been done today, the Lord commanded to be done to make atonement for you. Aaron and his sons do these things that have been laid out, and they had to stay outside of the entrance of the tent of meeting for those seven days. This meal that they were taking and doing so in the presence, it represented this communion with God, and as their ordination process took place, they were there and they were enjoying fellowship with God. 35 and 36 
the entrance of, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die. For so I have been commanded. And Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord commanded by Moses. We see this strict command by God, <clears throat> excuse me, that they are to remain there day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged so that they do not die as they've been commanded. The Lord took very seriously what he was asking them to do. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command to them. And if they were disobedient, what would happen? They would die. What are some takeaways from this? We see that God has graciously given the opportunity for communion for those who are his. He allows the priests here to have the meal in his presence as they go through their ordination. Do you see that image there, church? They are able to commune with God. Which asks me, brings me to ask the question, in that moment, there is peace with God because of what has taken place through the passage that we've read. My question is, do we all in this room, within the sound of my voice or watching online, do we have true peace with God? Do you truly know the one who died on Calvary's cross for the sins of mankind? Do you truly have a relationship with him? Do you truly know and understand that you were bought with a price? If your answer is no, I want to encourage you, especially if you feel the Holy Spirit is moving right now in this moment. Cry out to the one who died for you. Ask questions. Pull Pastor Walter and myself, one of our deacons, goodness gracious, a follower of Jesus in the room. Reach out online. And say, what do I need to do? I need to know how to have this relationship. I need to know how to have peace with God. Some of us may think that we have peace and then we realize that we don't. I want to encourage you with that. I would be foolish to think that every week we stand up here before our people, that everyone that we hear, that hears the message week in and week out is, is a follower of Jesus. Our culture and our society has told us and church history has told us that we sit there and we come in week after week and we think that we're good to go because we check some boxes. I'm taking this very, very seriously. If you do not know Christ Jesus as Lord, Please pull us aside and talk. If you're watching this online, please go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact. And please begin a conversation with us. I pray every day that God would build up labors for his harvest. And I believe, I believe that he is going to do it. I believe that he is going to take men and women and children that come to faith to be trained up as disciples to go on mission into this place around us and take the gospel. 
and to take the gospel in our schools and to take the gospel in our neighborhoods and take the gospel down the hallway in our homes. But part of that prayer about the harvest is knowing that the doors are open and people are going to come in. And they might like the, the environment. They might like the way in which people love on them and care for them. And they might fall into the trap to think, man, I'm good. I, I got this. I'm good. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm doing the things I need to do. And guys, I, I'm just telling you right now, I don't know why. I just feel the need to share this. If that is you, you're not good. You need to know the one who died for you. Being here is amazing. Growing and going to Bible study is amazing. But if you have not truly been regenerate by the one who spoke life into existence, who died on Calvary's cross to feed his sin and death and resurrected from the grave, if you have not been regenerate by him and his Holy Spirit indwells you, I pray today will be the day of salvation truly for you. We're going to take the time right now before the band sings. I don't even want the band to come up right now. I just feel the need to just lay this out there. I want to take the time for us to pray as we always do. We take time to stop and reflect on the message and to ask God, what is it that you're telling me from what I've heard today? And I pray that you're not just sitting there saying, well, I don't even know what I've heard today. I pray that God is speaking right now. If you're in this room and you are a follower of Jesus, and some of the things I said about praying for those that are around us is really burdening your heart right now, and you feel the need that you need to cry out into repentance, brother, sister, cry out in repentance. I'll join you. If you're sitting here right now and you're saying, man, so-and-so is on my mind right now in this moment, whether they're in the room or whether they're down the hall or they are in the house down the street or wherever they may be right now, if they are burdening your heart right now, then brother, sister, get on your face before God and cry out to him and say, Lord, I beg you to save their soul. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you right now, I want this to be a time of reflection. Guys, I know it's 12.05. I know it's lunchtime. But our prayer, Walter and I's prayer for this church moving forward is that our hearts would be in a posture of crying out to God for the lostness that is around us. I've said it before, but I'm at a place right now where I have never meant it more than I see it now. I'm tired of playing church. And that's not a condemnation on anybody to say that you guys aren't doing enough. That's just the cry of my heart that I'm tired of us just doing things just to be comfortable. I want to do things in radical ways that this community is flipped upside down and our city looks different. I am so burdened for the lostness that is around us. I am so burdened for what is happening in our world today. I am so burdened for my seven-year-old daughter and the life that she is growing up in and my son. I want to ask you during this time, 
that the posture of your heart be to truly cry out to God right now and ask him what he wants from you and what he wants from our church. And for us all in one accord to truly say, Lord, have your way. So let's take that time right now. Quiet reflection and prayer. And this will probably be a little bit longer than it normally is, and that's okay. Let's pray to God right now. Father, Lord, we come before you right now. We come before you right now crying out to you. We come before you right now crying out to you, thanking you that we can do so because of Christ Jesus. Thanking you that Christ Jesus has paid the ultimate price on Calvary's cross in our place. Thanking you that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But you intervened. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And because He has done that, He has defeated sin and death. He was buried and resurrected on the third day, defeating sin and death, conquering it. Oh, death, where is your sting? And we come before you, Lord, and we cry out to you, rejoicing and thanking you that Christ Jesus has ascended at your right hand. He intercedes on behalf of the saints. When you look upon those who are in Christ, you see his righteousness, his blood that was poured out for us. Even though we are still sinners, you give us the grace and the mercy every day that we do not deserve. But thanks be to God, Lord, that you give it to us. Father, we hear the passage we see today of how you took these people and, and you set them apart as mediators. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to have that any longer. We thank you because of Jesus, the curtain has been torn in two. We have direct access to you, Father. And Father, with that, we come before you right now, Lord, with the things that burden our hearts. A thousand some odd people within a one mile radius of 4602 Duran Avenue are lost without Christ. Break our hearts for that, Father. within the circles of accountability that we have every day in our lives. We have people that we love and that we care for in our families, in our workplaces, on our streets, in the places we go to have fun, and even in our own houses that are lost and need the gospel. So Father, we beg you, Lord, that you would save their souls. Father, we beg you, Lord, and we repent if we have not been burdened to come before you and cry out with their names on our lips. We repent, Father, if we have come before and gone about doing things, checking off a box every day, and not taking the call of being a follower of Jesus seriously. 
Lord, we see it all around us. Lord, we are in some dark days. But Lord, I firmly believe that in the darkest of days, we have an amazing opportunity to show the brightest light. The light of Jesus and the truth and the power of the gospel. So Lord, I pray for every one of us in this place right now, everyone that is watching online, man, even anybody that watches or listens to this later on, that every one of us who are in Christ would take the call of being a follower, knowing that we are part of that royal priesthood, and proclaim with boldness the power of the gospel that can save lives for eternity. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord. Use us for your will and your glory. And Father, I pray right now for anyone in this place, listening, online, in person, it doesn't matter. Lord, if they know that they don't have a relationship with you and your spirit is drawing them near, Father, I pray Lord, that they would cry out to you, confessing and repenting of their sins and confessing with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, surrendering to you. Father, I beg you, Lord, to save souls. Father, I beg you, Lord, to make laborers to send out into this harvest that desperately needs the gospel. And Father, I pray that you would remind each and every one of us that it is not Holmes Avenue Baptist Church alone in this fight. It is St. Andrew's Park Circle. It is Cooper River Baptist, Portside Baptist, Friendship Baptist, Center Point Church at Remount, and many, many other churches that are proclaiming the gospel. Use us, Lord, for your will and your glory. And may we see an amazing, amazing reaping of the harvest. Not so we can boast about what we did, but we can say, look what Jesus did. Look what he's doing and look at what he will do. We beg you, Lord, to have your way. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.